Hey, what's going on, y'all? Today is, um, it is April the 4th, 2018, on a Wednesday at 5.48 p.m. So, I wanted to give y'all a little glimpse about the movie novel, Three Twins in a Ghetto. It's, the, it's pretty much based on true events that occur with, with other people and myself. Now, when I was behind the wall, I had a lot of roommates, cellies, and, you know, in the beginning, we always liked to talk, you know, just to see, you know, how we vibe with each other in the beginning, you know, so it's a lot of discussing and talking in the, in the very beginning. That's just normal or practical, you know what I mean? You don't want to be in a room with somebody you don't really know, you know, because they might, you know, they might be kind of fucked up, you know what I mean? So you trying to just trying to get a vibe, get, get a feeling of what the shit is. So anyhow, you know, me being locked up for sixteen and a half years, I met a lot of cats, and not just guys that were just in my room, but I was fed. I was I went to federal prison, so I was pretty much sent all over the country, as far as you know, different states, and I've, I've been to. Eleven words, been to Louisiana, I've been to Florida, I've been to Oklahoma, and I've been to this is, that pretty much wraps it up, you know, and I just kept bouncing around in little spot in little small towns within Texas. But in my in anyway, so three twins in a ghetto is based on a lot of stories consolidated into one. And Mainly, there's the story of the main character, and what happened to him was he had got locked up back in 1999, and he got locked up for, he got arrested for selling stolen firearms, and these stolen firearms were taken at a pawn shop in Austin, Texas. So this guy... And let's, let's just call this guy Q, okay? So this guy Q got arrested in 1999 for selling stolen firearms. Allegedly, it was the U.S. Marshals that arrested him. Or not, or the, no, 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 no. I correct, I correct myself on that. It was the ATF that came to arrest him, allegedly. So after they arrested him, they arrested him at his sister's apartment in Austin. And when they arrested him, he had his little brother there and his sister there. So they grabbed him, they read him his rights, and then they took him to a building. They took Q to a building. Little did Q know that they took his little brother also, but they put him in, they put his brother in a separate car. Let's call his brother P, okay? So um, they put Q in this interrogation room. And they was questioning him, you know, but he already knew that they was looking for him. So he already had in mind what he was going to talk to them about or basically what story he was going to tell them. So he already had it all planned out. What he didn't have planned out was how did the agents operate? He didn't know about how they threaten you and threaten your family and all this other stuff 
you know, that, that part of the game was not explained to him, see, because he ain't never been in no real trouble before. I mean, like, when he was younger, like 17, he had got locked up for protecting his girlfriend. You know, some guy had put his hand in the girl's face, and and so, you know, he went out to confront the guy, and there was, a, like, like, 12 or 14 other guys right out there, and they all jumped him. But the only thing he was focused on was getting the guy that kind of, you know, kind of like disrespected his girlfriend. And he ended up going to jail. Q ended up going to jail because a woman accused him of cutting her with his knife. But he didn't cut her. He never did make it. He never did make it over to her. He had no reason to cut her. You know, I mean, she was even part of the fight. You know, and, you know, what it, what, what, what happened was that earlier that day, he was um, trying to teach his sister-in-law how to drive. And they was going through the parking lot. You know, they got speed bumps. Well, this parking lot didn't have much speed bumps. And so he was driving like probably like 10, 15 miles through, through the parking lot. And the girl that was in the front seat, his sister-in-law, she told him to watch out. And that's when he seen the little girl just come from between these cars. She just jumped in the pier. So he swerved. He missed the girl. Her hand probably touched the car. He looked on his rearview mirror. She, he, she was still standing, so he kept it pushing. He didn't stop and turn and see what she all right. He saw that she was all right, so he kept on pushing. And so later, like a few minutes later, when they go, when Q and his sister-in-law go to an area where he can teach his sister-in-law how to drive his car, a, a car appeared, you know, in this big woman came out, cursing him out, talking about, you know, calling him all kinds of names, saying he uh, almost hit her daughter. He didn't even stop to see, you know, if she was okay and all this other shit, you know what I mean? So she called the police, and when she called the police, the police came to ask Q, did he have a driver's license? He was like, no, they told him not to get in the car no more. But he didn't go to jail, and that pissed her off that he didn't go to jail. She wanted him to go to jail. So since she didn't get no justice on that end, she had called her family members. And her family members came over there to jump him. And so that's how that all played out. It's crazy because he, uh, the girl that he had went to jail over, he called his first case. The girl he went to jail over, don't remember it. Don't remember the shit. And so that's, that's kind of crazy, right? So anyhow, he did like probably 11 to 14 days in the county jail for that. He got time served. He didn't get no probation. They dropped him from aggravated assault to uh, um, assault of body injury to a misdemeanor. So he was out, and that was that. So his second charge, he had caught. He was like, um, I'm going to say he was 20 years old. Yeah, he was like 20 years old, and he got arrested for having a, a firearm. You know, so... You know, they was telling him that, you know, he wasn't allowed to have a firearm unlawfully. He unlawfully carrying a firearm. So he ended up going he ended up going to jail for like half a day. He get out. You know, he didn't get on probation or parole, anything like that. He just they just gave him time served for that one day. So anyhow, that was one that's the only you know, uh what you say, that's the only encounterment he had with the criminals system that's the only two counts so 
this federal crap was something real new to him. So it was mind blowing. So anyhow, they threatened to lock his brother up and lock his sister up, lock his baby mama up, lock his mother up, and put his firstborn, his only human offspring, in a foster home. You know, it was it would it played out like this because from what I was told, there was this guy named T. Okay, and this guy named T had did you know a criminal activity. Okay. So after he committed this criminal activity, he had to get rid of his guns. So Q happened to call him, and he T told Q, like, hey, man, you know, he's kind of fucked up because he needs a strap. So Q was like, well, shit, I got some straps I can sell to you. So at that time, Q was out of town. But his little brother, P, Q's little brother, P, was in town. So he told his little brother, to go deliver the guns. And he got, well, his little brother didn't have a car, so his baby mama, Q's baby mama took, you know, P to the, the dude T house and, and sold him some guns. Okay, so that's that's that was the only involvement that the feds probably uh had on his baby mama and his sister. I mean his brother. Okay. Cause they were saying cause the dude's T has said that he got the guns from Q's little brother, P, but it was by Q's authorization. And, you know, and it was his baby mama. And so they tried to accuse his, they tried to accuse Q's baby mama by saying that she had rented a car and the car that she rented was a car they was using for a getaway vehicle, but that wasn't true at all. What happened was, when um, his baby mom rented a car, she rented a car for Q's sister because Q's sister needed a car and she didn't have a driver's license. So his uh, so Q's baby mama got a car for her in the same day. She ended up getting a ticket in it. So that's what the records that they had showing that, you know, she had the car. So anyhow... They threatening to lock up his family and stuff like that unless he cooperate. So he went ahead and just stated that because they didn't, they wasn't, they was mainly concerned about the guns being sold. They were mainly concerned about who robbed the pawn shop to get the guns. That's who they may focus on. And they thought Q was just a middleman, okay? They thought Q was the guy that received the goods, the merchandises, to sell for some other guys. And how he know this is because they put photos in front of him of convicted felons. And one of them was T. And they thought these guys who've been in and out of the federal prison, they thought these guys were the guys that actually robbed the pawn shop and gave Q the guns to sell for them. But that wasn't the case. So he had to he had to basically let them know that those guys wasn't the guys that robbed the pawn shop. He said that he was the one that did it. But they didn't know. Nobody knew. Okay. So he went ahead and um, confessed to that in order to save his family. 
Otherwise, he would have never said anything regarding that matter. He already had his story in line. He already knew what he was going to say. No one was killed in any of the incidents, and nobody knew what he looked like because in all the robberies he had committed, he wore a mask. The only person or only man or woman that knew his face was the ones that robbed the pawn shops with him. And they ain't talking. One of them is dead. And the other one, he's, you know, he ain't talking. So they was like needed Q to confirm that he was actually the guy. So he gave him details. He gave him details of what he did and this and that and that. And it all fell in line. He know it fell in line to what had occurred because he was the one that committed the crimes. But again, he would have never even confessed at that or uttered that if they didn't threaten to lock up his family. Okay. So it was all obtained through duress, uh, threat, duress, and coercion, which is unlawful. That shouldn't stand in court. And he, so when he get a public defender, the first public defender didn't want to, didn't want to take the case. Don't know why, but he didn't want to take the case. So they gave him uh, another public defender, which was a chick, nice, cute looking chick. And she was, a lot of a lot of paperwork was being filed without without Q's consent. He wasn't aware of all the motion that was filed. He didn't know anything was going on. They were doing everything for him, okay? So he stayed in the county jail for 17 months before he finally seen a, a federal judge. Now, in the process, he was seeing a magistrate judge, but magistrate judge didn't have any, didn't supposed to have any jurisdiction or or power to overlook a felony case in that nature, okay? So he was not authorized to even oversee the case, but he kept, he Q kept seeing the magistrate judge until he finally saw the sentencing judge who was supposed to be the chief judge who gave him his time. So after 17 months, he had got sentenced to 255 months, okay? That's 21 years and three months in a federal prison. But they made a mistake because they had an agreement. Q made an agreement with the prosecutor for cooperating by confessing to the crimes that because one of the guns, one of the weapons that was used was a semi-automatic assault rifle, which carried a mandatory 10 years, in case you didn't know under 924C. So besides giving him a, a mandatory 10 years for the assault rifle, they agreed to not even describe it as a assault rifle, just describe it as a regular handgun, which carried between five mandatory, a minimum of five years to seven years. Okay. So when he got sentenced, they didn't do the paperwork properly. So the judge was reading the old document that was supposed to have been superseded by another document. So the judge gave him 10 years for the semi-automatic and gave him 11 years and three months for the other counts. He had five counts on him. Interference commerce by robbery, title 18 U.S.C. 1951 A.M.B. and carjacking. He had, he had one carjacking. He had two interference commerce by robbery. He had um, unlawful carrying a firearm during a crime of violence. 
he had five charges. So he had one. It was two. Oh, okay, 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 okay. So he had um. So he had two carjackings, or was it just one? Okay, that's not even okay. So anyhow, so he had five counts in all. Okay, he had three counts on one case number. He had two ca uh, counts on two on another case number, and the one that he had two counts on, those counts was dismissed because the the government moved the court to dismiss those counts to fix the error that occurred, but he never did it properly. On the document, on the judgment and commitment document, it says. Uh, upon motion of the United States, the court dismissed the remaining counts herein. Now, whether you speak in legalese or English, when it says remaining counts, it's still in terminology of what's remaining. Okay, so the remaining counts that was within that document was supposed to be dismissed and it showed that it was dismissed there was no other jnc that superseded it or was amended after that those counts was dismissed so technically though he didn't he didn't have that case number no more because all those counts were dismissed he only had those three counts left on the other case number which only carried 11 years but he did 16 and a half years in prison when he tried to uh, bring the matter up several times to the court. They kept denying him. They kept denying him saying and basically you leave when you say deny is saying it's untrue. They kept saying it's untrue. It's kept saying it's untrue, but it was not true. Whenever the U.S. Supreme Court had came out with cases, he kept up with it. And there were several cases that fell in exact line with a situation that he was going through, and yet the district court, whoever men, whatever men woman within that court, still said it was not true. They didn't give him no remedy. They just straight railroaded him. Okay, so he had a plan on when he got out, he was going to sue the asses. You know what I mean? They threatened to tell him. They threatened to say, if you if you file another motion, we're going to find you. He didn't stop. He kept on going. He's like, I don't give a fuck about no fine. You know what I'm saying? Because he knew he was in the right. So he kept fighting. He kept fighting. He never stopped fighting. Throughout this whole bit, he kept fighting. He had so many documents filed in this case. It's just crazy. You know what I mean? Because he, he he just he had to self-teach himself their statues and codes and shit, which never did apply to him. He never knew that it never did apply to him. But see, this is the scam, the big scam that the United States, well, I don't like saying United States. The United States is not a man or a woman. But the, the agents that work under that, that work in that capacity are scamming the people that they arrested. Now, here, here's my here's my thoughts on that, okay? There are there are a lot of people that can't function in the public without injuring another a man or a woman. Those people need to be handled, dealt with. Okay, Q was out there robbing. He was robbing people, taking people's stuff by force, by gunpoint. Okay, he was imposed. He was posing a threat to society. 
he was a threat to society. Because anybody could have got, got, got killed. He could have got killed in the process of it. They could have got killed in the process of it. But luckily, no one was killed. They shut the system down. They shut that operation down, okay? So they, they, they wasn't at total fault for doing what they had to do in order to get Q off the street. He, he accepted that. Like, yeah, it was good that y'all had stopped me. That's how he was thinking because, you know, he knew that eventually someone would have actually ended up getting hurt, but no one did. That's the point and that's the matter of the fact. Okay. No one did get hurt. Okay. So anyhow, when he got out, when he got out of prison, he was so happy that he like, look, I ain't even tripping about the lawsuit right now. I just want to enjoy my freedom. That's, you know, that's his attitude. I want to enjoy my freedom, this and that and that. So the probation officer came up there to the halfway house and had him sign some papers, you know, about, you know, being on probation, supervised release, and they had it in a box. Now, those who do not know anything about the, the four corner rules, anything that's in the box is, is, it's like it's not there within the document outside of the of that box okay now i might didn't explain that correctly let me say it again whatever is in the square box whatever is inside it it's like it doesn't exist okay it doesn't exist when it comes to contract all right it's not part of the contract it's not part of the agreement whenever you see something boxed up it's a four called the four corner rule whenever you see something boxed up boxed up it's like it doesn't exist in that contract. So the the, the probation officer, the, the man or the woman that came down there to speak to him, she has had signed within the box on the JNC. Okay. But he didn't know. Q didn't know. He didn't know these things. So he get out, Q get out. Nobody wouldn't give him Q a job. So Q finally came across this one place. At you know a company called Sonics, so he had applied there, and the guy gave him an opportunity. So he was working, worst job he ever had. It just really traumatized him. But he he tried to stay in as long as possible because the man gave him a chance when nobody else would. But I'm telling you, he the dude the way he went through was just crazy. So anyhow, after that job, he um, got another job. At Gaddy's Pizza in Pizza Hut, and also start doing uh, temp work and got a job at Waste Management. And so, you know, he was really trying to put things together. Now, when he got out of the halfway house, he went to stay with his grandmother. Now, his grandmother had a gambling problem. She always had a gambling problem, and there was a time that she had she had left him hanging outside on the porch. Okay, when he once stayed with her once upon a time, because uh, in the past, he went to go visit her when he just turned 18. And there was a lot of people kept shooting up his house. So his uncle had advised him to go spend time with his grandmother until things kind of cooled down down where he was at. Because he was at, he was in uh, Funkytown, Fort Worth, Texas. And so he went to go spend a little time with his grandmother. When he was on his way back, he called his uncle. His uncle told him, hey, you know, the house got burnt down. And he was like, what? He said, yeah, your house got burnt down. And he was like, how that happened? So he said that 
his uncle told him that his homies was in there smoking weed and they didn't put out the blunt and the house caught on fire. He's like, what? So he called his homies and his homies like, hell no, nah, man, that ain't what happened. He told them what happened was somebody, fire people said that the tank that was in Q's room had exploded after a bullet hit it. Okay, it was an old house and it was an old gas thing. And he said a bullet hit the tank and it blew up. And he said that's what had happened. Because if you look at the house, you'll see the room that Q was sleeping in was burnt up crazy. It was like somebody just lit that sucker up and just let it burn and barbecue the whole room while the other house was just okay. The other, so the other part of the house was okay. It was just that room. So the room got burned down. His heart, his car, his cutlass got burned, but it was still running. And his uncle took the motor out and gave it to his daughter, which, but that's, that's neither here nor there. So anyway, so uh, he couldn't go back because his uncle said he didn't want him staying with him because he couldn't get along with his uncle's wife. So he got stuck in getting with his grandmother. So he had to start all over. He so he got him a job at McDonald's, and you know he thought save a little money to get some clothes and stuff like that. And he was giving his grandmother like at least eighty percent of his check to help out on bills, not knowing how much she was paying for rent. Okay, so his cousin had called her and told her that he had got a new place. He called his grandmother and told her that he had a new place and wondered if she wanted to come and stay with him. But he wasn't expecting her to say yes, but she said yes. So she told Q that she's finna move to forward. And so she asked him what he was going to do. So he was like, look, I ain't even ready. You know, can you like, you know, put my name on the lease and I can just take over because, you know, I don't even have no money to get my own place, this and that. So she told him to go on down there and see if he can put his name on the lease. So he did. He tried that. And they told him that the rent going to go up from $25, $25 to $35 a month to like four, five hundred. And he was like, $25, $35 a month? And he was like, man, he didn't know his grandmother was only paying that. He would give him all his money on his check. Kind of find that she was only paying like twenty thirty five dollars, and at the at the most it was probably like a hundred dollars. Okay, let's just keep it, let's just keep it the way it is. Okay, so anyhow, let's just say it was a hundred dollars a month. But he was thinking she was paying like five six hundred dollars a month. So he was really like you know he putting groceries in the house and helping her. So he kind of felt so he went and told her what they told him. And she got upset that they revealed that information to him. He can tell she got upset. So anyway, so he went to Austin just to see if he can get some one of his family members to allow him to stay with them until he get on his feet. And, you know, so he went through that little phase for a little minute. He stayed with his aunt for a little while until him and his baby mama moved in with their friend, with her friend. And so, um, so anyhow, not, not just not to bore y'all. I got 27 minutes already. So when he get out of prison, he, you know, he's excited, you know, he get a job, you know, and this and that and that. And, you know, things just not turning out right. You know, his grandmother that he moved back in with, 
You know, she told him before she moved in with him that he can save up on his money so he can get his stuff back together. And he thought that she was going to, you know, allow him to do that, you know, being that he'd been gone for so long. But as soon as he got his checks, as soon as he got a job at Waste Management, boy, 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 she just kept, she putting the bills out in front of him and kept complaining about this and that that caused that, that it can be fixed with money and stuff like that. So, you know, you know, he like, okay, you know, he didn't make a big deal out of it. He, you know, he, he pulled out, he dropped out, helped out and stuff. But, you know, it just, it was never enough. It was never enough. And he realized he could never get his, his, his shit together. And I mean, it was, it was so much shit going on. And then, you know, he, he got, he enrolled in college. He enrolled in, uh, Astro University to, um, major in entrepreneurship. Cause he wanted to have his own little business, you know. He was uh, driving this Ninja Turtle green van. And he hated the van, but he had an intention that when you know, because when, when you get a you know when you get a student loan or whatever, they you know when they take the deduction out there, seeing you what's what's left. So he already had in mind what he was going to do with the money that was left. He was going to buy him a new car, a nice car, you know what I mean? Besides being a turtle van, but. He was, he got put in, he, he was given a, um, ultimatum by his aunt because the green van that he was driving was in her name. So, she, and he was using that van to get from work, to get to work and front work. And they stayed out of town. So he needed the van. You know what I mean? It's not like he could have, I mean, he probably could have caught the bus, but he had two jobs. You know what I'm saying? He had two jobs and one of the jobs, Consist of needing the vehicle because he was delivering pizza. So he couldn't afford to get rid of the car. And so anyhow, they, his aunt told him he needs to park it. He either park it or pay for it. So he had to use his money. He didn't have his money at the time, but he gave him, he gave them his word that he would give them the money for it. They just go ahead and let him continue to drive it. So they did. And when he got his money, Besides just saying, fuck y'all, man, I'm using my money to get me my car. He went ahead and kept his word and gave him the money, okay? So he got stuck with a damn Ninja Turtle van, looking embarrassed. It's just, it was just fucked up, you know what I mean? And it was like, damn, you know, he was suspecting a little bit more love. You know, he just got out. It was, it was just, it was just kind of fucked up to him. So anyhow, he stuck with this Ninja Turtle van, driving around this green van and shit like that, but it was getting him by. You know, it was a nice running van. I, I you know, I, I can vouch for that. It was a good running van. I can vouch for that. So, um, anyhow, when he was doing his thing, he, his best friend dropped trucks. His best friend got his own truck. So his best friend told him, hey, man, once you uh, get your CDL license and come and drive trucks with me. And he was like, look, man, I took the class in prison and I was planning on doing that, so fuck it, I'll go ahead and do it. So he went and took the test. He took the test online. He flunked it. Well, he took the practice test online, passed it online, but he, when he went to go take the real test, he flunked it. And so he he went back online, practiced, passed the practice test, went back and flunked it again. So he said, Cause you know, you get three strikes. You get three chances. After the three strike, you got to pay the whole thing over again, start all over. So on the third attempt, he just said he decided to read the book from the front to the back, and that's when he starts seeing 
the answers to a lot of the questions that he was asked on the real test that he didn't know the answer to. So then, after he read the book from the front to the back, he went to take the test and ate that bitch. He ate both them bitches, only missed one on both of them. So he got that. He was so excited, but he still needs to take the driving part. But he didn't have the money to do that. But he found this company who would pay for it. But the company was out of town. So his probation officer was didn't like they didn't approve it. They were like, no, you can't go out of there. But they already dropped the security level to low where he didn't have to come in to report. All he had to do was report online. So he didn't never have to come in. To, you know, and he was done with the prison test. So, but they were telling him he couldn't go out of town and do that. So he was, uh, so Q was upset about that. So he was like, well, check it out. If I can't get paid, y'all don't get paid. Cause he had, you know, he was paying restitution. So he was like, if I can't make no money, y'all ain't gonna make no money out of me. So he, he stayed, he, he stood his ground. He like, man, this is what I want. This is what, you know what I'm saying? So, the guy that he was considering his probation officer, he told the guy that, you know, this is what he's going to stand on. You know, he ain't he ain't trying to do nothing else but that. So the guy, so the probation officer was like, okay, well, I'm going to tell you all the information I'm going to need from that. I'm going to need from you in order for me to grant it. So the probation officer told him all the things that Q needed to give him. So he Q gave that to him. He, he got all the information the probation officer asked from him. So the probation officer said, okay, if I approve it, my my supervisor must approve it. And, then, and if she approve it, the judge has to approve it. And after the judge approve it, everything's good. So Q was like, okay. So he gave his probation officer the information. The probation officer looked over it and the probation officer approved it. So he submitted everything that he had to his supervisor. His supervisor looked over everything and she approved it. Now keep your mind, he had like so many amount of days left before he had to take the test, the CDL test all over again. Cause after you take the, uh, the handwritten test, you have to take the, uh, the hands on test driving, but you have so many days before you can come in and take it. After that day overlap, you have to start the whole thing over with. So his, he had a deadline. So he was really, really anxious for them to hurry up and prove it for his deadline is up. He already talked to the people in, in the other town about approving his, uh, trucking. So anyhow, they, um, his supervisor approved it, and then the judges needed to prove. So he waited, he waited, and then the judge finally approved it. And he kept calling, and they were like, no, nah, we'll call you Q, we'll call you Q when we hear something. But he didn't let that slide. He kept calling them even after they told him that. So they finally said, okay, his probation officer told him, okay, the judge approved it, you good. So he told the woman, Hey, you know what I'm saying? They say I'm good. So she sent him a bus ticket. So he had to catch the bus the next day. And he was going to be on his way. He was excited. His mom was excited. Everybody was excited. They started popping by, celebrating. And then his probation officer called him and tell him that he couldn't go. He said because he didn't know he was going to be uh, in Dallas for two weeks. And then he got to go to Oklahoma at the training for two or three weeks. He said that's like a month and a half before he can report back. He said so he can't allow that to happen. So Q was like, hold on, but the judge already approved it. And you asked me for all the documents. And I gave you everything you asked for. And you approved Your supervisor approved Everybody approved it. And so, and being that the judge approved it, who are you to override his decision? 
You know what I mean? So he was like, I can't allow you to go, this and that and that. So he, Q, decided to start reporting. So Q stopped reporting. And so he said he's not going to report until he see a judge. He want to see a judge face to face. When he see, when he, when he, they set arrangements so he can see a judge, that's when he going to come up there. Other than that, he ain't coming up there no more. Okay. So he would never, Q was never summoned. Okay. He was never given a court date. They was never told that he had a court date. He was never told by a judge. Okay. Or by the court that he had a court date. So anyhow, on April the 18th, 2017, Q went to his brother's house. It was late at night, right after he got work. Q went to his brother's house to um, just chill with his brother. And he seen the cops there in the a, in a, in a, in a driveway, just blocking away. And he seen his uh, brother's friend's car. And then he also seen his brother's friend in handcuffs. So the police came to his car and he asked them, he asked Q, do he know the guy? And he was like, yeah, why? He said, because the guy wanted to know if he can drive his car, if Q can drive his car so they won't tow it. Q was like, yeah, I can do that for him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So the officer, well, the, the policeman, not an officer, but the policeman asked Q for his ID, his driver's license. So Q gave him his driver's license and they ran it. And that's when they said, you uh, you got to put you, you under arrest because you have a warrant out. And he was like, what you mean I got a warrant out? And so he was like, you got a warrant out for unlawfully carrying a firearm in Virginia. He said, Virginia? And so Q was like, I've never been in Virginia. You need to go run that back because I ain't never been in Virginia. So police officer, the policeman went back to his vehicle and he Searched again. He said, yep. He said, you got any tattoos on your arms? And he was like, yeah. So he looked, at, he looked, the policeman looked at his tattoo. He said, yep, you the man. He like, dude, this is not right. <laughs> so, end up, so he, Q ended up going to jail. And he gave them they, his fingerprints, but he wouldn't sign anything. He refused to sign anything. He refused to answer any of their questions. He would, so they put him in a, like a, um, a dry tank. They put him in a dry tank. He stayed in the dry tank. The next morning, they the sheriff's him came by, and they they transferred him to the federal building, where he saw the magistrate judge. When he saw the magistrate judge, and keep in mind now, after after he after Q Buckley saying he wouldn't report no more, he had he got back into the law. He was already been studying law in prison for a long time, so he was already. You know, familiar with you know the legal process or you know the codes and all this other stuff. So, but he learned a whole other aspect of the law when he when when they pissed him off and said he couldn't go, and that will push him learning more shit about the truth about the law. And that's when he discovered the big scam. You know what I mean? That's when he discovered the big scam, a scam that he was able to prove. So when he get in court. Not knowing as much as he know now, but when he went to court, you know he he presented his his offense and defense, and so after he said what he said, the magistrate judge asked him, "What do you want?" And so he told me, you know, I, I want. He said, "I want, I want the same equal opportunity as everybody else, you know, and this and that and that and this." So anyway. 
the the magistrate judge said that he was gonna uh, he was gonna see the case tomorrow morning. They gonna have a hearing, then make a decision then. And so he came the next morning. The judge said that he gonna release him that day, but they said that they needed a judge over him to to sign it off in order to release him. So, but the judge didn't. There was no judge in the courtroom or in the court building. So he ended up staying another night in the court. I mean, in the uh, county in Bastrop. But he got out the next morning, early the next morning, and so he was released and he started back all over again. He went back to his old Mister Gaddy's job. You know, they never arrested him. He was upset that. He didn't know he had a warrant out for his arrest. And he told the magistrate judge, I never got no summons saying for me to be at the court. Yeah, the, the probation officer told me he wanted me to come up there to talk to him. And he didn't say anything about I have a court hearing. He didn't say anything about that. And I wasn't served. That's what he told me. He said, I wasn't served. We ain't paper saying that I have court hearing. So how can you demand me to be somewhere and expect me to be there if you ain't told me? So that was one of his offenses. And then another offense he had brought up was that he had sent an affidavit to the judge that sentenced him asking him, he was in inquirers uh, regarding the counts that was dismissed. He was still in prison on and never was released. And he said that the judge never responded to it. And he said silence is acquiescence to guilt. And it's been that the judge didn't respond to this affidavit. Well, then, therefore, he's clear from those charges. That's their law. That's the, that's how they rock. And he said that on record, you know. And so, so next time when he went to go see the magistrate judge, the magistrate judge didn't want him back in the courtroom. So they had to sit down in the probation officer office and they spoke, you know, in regard. But but his probation officer told Q not to bring up certain things, you know what I mean? And that kind of deprived of Q of his liberty of speaking of the thing that needs to be spoken about, but he just, you know, he was just trying to keep everything casual, you know, try not to uh, stir up anything because he did, it was his first time having to sit down with a magistrate judge. So he didn't know how to conduct himself, but at the same time, he still wanted to tell him some things. So he did tell him about the counts that was dismissed and the magistrate judge was like, well, I'm going to look into it. And he said, because Q was like, Look, man, you know, they held me in a county jail for 17 months before I even got sentenced. So the magistrate was just like, well, normally they do that if, like, if there's somebody else involved in your case and they got, and the time don't start until they arrest that person. He was like, yeah, that's all good and dandy. But I was prosecuted separately, he told him. He said he, he had a co-defendant, but on the paperwork, they convicted them separately. So he was his co-conspirator. He wasn't a co-defendant. So his time, so Q's time started the day that they arrested him. And they didn't have to arrest anybody else because he was, he was charged solely on his, on his, what you call, on his, you know, on his conviction. But mind you now, he was never charged because there was never a claim filed in in the charge. There was only a complaint. You know, a complaint is doesn't doesn't it can't be brought up against a man. Well, it can, but a complaint normally comes from an entity that doesn't actually exist, like a corporation, like the state of Texas versus you, the man or the woman. Okay, those when you when you see those type of documents, those instruments, it's going to be a complaint. Okay, so a claim 
you'll never see a fictitious entity, the state of Texas or United States of America, uh, filing a claim because they can't file a claim. It, it doesn't exist. It's not a live, natural human being. Oh, you know what I mean? It doesn't. It does. It can't breathe. It can't talk. It can't write. It can't agree to anything. It can't meet you at the mind. It can't contract with a live man. So it cannot file a claim because it can't even do. It can't even make an affidavit of truth saying that if uh, if there's any lies that is brought upon by that person or man or woman, then they will be held liable. You can't lock up United States of America. How you gonna lock up United States of America? It doesn't exist. It's just it don't exist on paper. So they only can bring a, a complaint against you. And a complaint is not for a man. A man, if you don't have a claim showing that you injure another man by either injuring him physically or uh damaging or stealing or whatever to his property, if you ain't caused harm to this man or his property, then there's no claim. Okay, and you should be able to challenge that. But if there's no claim, there's no charges. Everything, so if you get arrested for a complaint, then therefore you're basically agreeing to whatever they decide. They say, okay, we're going to, we're going to put you in prison for 15 years. You have to agree to that. That's why it was, it was a judge and many others said that, you know, like 99% of the people that's locked up is locked up voluntarily. When I heard that, I was like, well, maybe because everybody have a choice of what they do. But no, it was deeper than that. It was on. It was based on contract. You can't contract with a fictitious entity. You know, a fictitious plaintiff to to sue someone with a fictitious plaintiff happened to be a contempt of court. But anyway, 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 anyway. So you know, there's a lot of things that this guy in uh, Three Twins got to go through. You know, that's the main character though. But. The main character met a lot of interesting individuals throughout his entire life. So he, what he did is he constructed everything, put, you know, made, made up some things and just put everything into a story. But at the same time, you can actually learn from this story. You can actually learn from this story and grow from this story and help yourself and others with this story. So that's what it is all about. You know, um, it's a masterpiece. I'm going to have it as for, it's called a movie novel, so there's going to be scenes on YouTube, Instagram, or other places where you can go and see some of the scenes that's not inside the, the novel. You know, it's going to have pictures of the characters, but the it's not going to have pictures of the real characters. It's going to have pictures of characters that I'm going to use that represent the real characters. Okay, so it's going to have video, it's going to have a soundtrack, and that's what I'm working on. It's going to have sequences. Three Twins in a Ghetto is the subtitle. Texas Empire is the main title of it. But Three Twins in a Ghetto is the subtitle. And then anything you see with Texas Empire, you will know that it's connected to Three Twins in the Ghetto. Because it's all in one. It's just one big ass story. You know what I mean? Because there's a lot of stories that people would like to tell and publish. So I'm just telling it for them. And I'm not revealing true names of a lot of people. And so that's that. You know, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, there's certain things that I can talk about, some things that I shouldn't talk about, and some things that need to be talked about. So stand within the guidelines that I must stay in order to protect others and myself or myself and others 
you know, I, I try to, I try to live by that guideline or operate under that guideline so I cannot, you know, uh, violate anyone or damage anyone. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what's going on. That's what I got going on. Three twins in the ghetto. I mean, I'm working on it right now. You just heard, you know, the gist of it. If I don't, if I don't live long enough to finish it, hey, it is what it is. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I got a lot of things going on right now. I'm trying to fight these folks. I lost my job because the man falsely accused me. But I really, I already know what it was really about because I had filed, um, I filed a complaint, not a complaint. I filed a claim, and I was telling them because they were trying what they was trying, what they did. It was uh, taking my money out of my check for a, a on a bogus court order, you know what I mean, for a, for child support. But the name on the documents is not me. It's the name of my property. You know, my legal name is Quentin Antoine Mitchell, not Quentin A. Mitchell, not Quentin Mitchell. See, those those are trusts. Those are trusts to my property. You know what I mean? But they don't tell you that. They don't tell you that. See, all those those trusts and stuff was created when they created your birth certificate and gave you a social security number and all this other stuff. But yeah, it's a trust. But I know that. I would never claim those names. I said, yeah, that's my property. So basically, you're trespassing. You're administering my property without my consent. I never gave you authorization to even um, deal, hold, administer my property. Where's the contract showing that I did that? You don't have that. You're trespassing. You're collecting my earnings by a bogus court document with no contract. It's that's forgery, 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 forgery. How you pronounce it anyway? You know what I'm trying to say? But it's trespassing by administering my estate without my consent. And yeah, so that's what they're doing, and that's what they're doing to a lot of people, a lot of men and women in America. You know, like these bills. You know, that ain't you. That's your trust. You know, when when they when they uh, when you go and do your card notes and stuff like that, you know, you gotta understand you cannot contract with a fictitious entity. If they said that you agree to give Texas Auto Center uh, uh, this amount of amount of payments, or the Texas Auto Center is giving you a car, you know, that's a fraudulent document because it can't. Uh, Texas Auto Center is not a man nor a woman. It can't give you shit. It can't give you a motherfucking thing. And that's a fraudulent document. So if they ever try to hold you to a document that have a fictitious entity on it, you basically can challenge it and get it overruled by that matter if they ever try to bring you to court. It's a simple, you don't have to learn a lot of shit. You say, hey, I would like to uh, confront this this man or woman who said I owe them, okay? And if they can't get on stand, stand out. Now, I want a representative. And if they try to have a representative, you say, okay, you representing who? Texas Auto Center? Okay, well, let me see your contract where they gave you power of attorney to represent them. Okay? He ain't going to be able to provide that. It's impossible. Okay? Well, if you can't provide that, then you don't have no proper standing in this case to speak. So sit down and get out and stop wasting my time. Okay? They don't have no proper standing to even speak. Okay? Do they have a claim? Do they have first-hand knowledge of the information? Do they, they bringing up, up upon you or they accusing you of? No. So they don't have no proper stand to even speak. But if you let them do it, then you in acquiescence and you allow it. Okay.
And that's when they can get away with it if you don't speak up on it. But you have to speak up on it. And it's not common law, it's common law. It's what something I learned today. But we speak common law, but it's common law as L-O-R-E. But there's a lot of things. See, I always, I always keep learning shit when it comes to this law shit. I got a passion to learn this shit. And some of the information shouldn't be told to some individual because they will abuse it. And they will use it the wrong way. That's why you don't you don't give power to any and everybody. But that's what, you know, that's that's just something that you gotta also be careful of. Giving people power, giving the wrong people power. Cause they will abuse it, you know what I mean? And that's that has been proven in history. But yeah, so anyhow, three twins in the ghetto, man. I hope y'all enjoy it, you know, and everything else. One love, I'm out, Keechus and Q Bay. All right.